welcome to the Joan Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Vittengel. Joan is a place of truth and connection, a place to discuss mental health, trauma, struggle, and the many difficulties brought to us in life. Through my own journey, I struggled to open up with others about my difficult life experiences. But once I did, I began to see that everyone is on their own journey in one way or another. This podcast has taught me so much, but most importantly, it has taught me that vulnerable connection through storytelling is one of the most powerful ways that we heal ourselves, heal each other, and thus heal the world. I'm so honored that the guests of this show have trusted me to bring their stories to you. And so I hope you enjoy the second season of Joan. Welcome back to another episode of Joan. Today I am speaking with the lovely Nikki Harrison. Nikki uh, will really dive deep into grief. She actually has a whole business that is centered around grief and the processing of grief. Um, So we really dive into the death of her mother, which... um, which was kind of her catalyst for starting her business. Um, And we, so we also go into her mother's depression, um, how that affected her family, um, how we never really fully move out of our grief experience and how it's more of like a cyclical thing. Um, Grief is, is very misunderstood and is very nuanced. So uh, we really, we really work into that and she is amazing and such an angel. I think that you'll be able to pick that up just by listening to her speak. Um, we also talk a bit about how it's showing up collectively during the pandemic. Um, so I hope that you love this episode. I feel like I should say, Kelly, as well up front that I don't, like I haven't spoken, I'm, I'm incredibly happy to be here and have been looking forward to it and thank you for having me and it feels like such a it's come together really beautifully but I don't I haven't really spoken in depth publicly not yeah in this way obviously it's not public right now but um yeah it just feels like important to just say that I don't know why and almost caveat like I don't know how how I don't know where this is going to (laughs) go and um some of it could be super deep as well so I just felt no, important to clear that up. I'm like, I feel almost a bit nervous because I'm like, I don't know where this is going. <laughs> I mean, that's totally normal. I usually get nervous before episodes too. And, but I like, like, I'm not, it's funny. Season one, I was really prepared for each episode. And for season mm-hmm. two, I feel a lot like I've just kind of been allowing it to free flow. And yeah. um, like, I love that we're recording right now. I think that we should include this actually in, in the episode because I think it's important for people to know mm-hmm. that like, you know, this is normal. Like it's not, it's not always easy. Like public speaking and talking about this stuff is not easy. And Mm. there is a tremendous amount of vulnerability that is required to have these conversations and for us to be able to step forward and have them will hopefully allow people to open up and have them in their own lives. And, um, and I don't, and I'm really actually looking forward to hearing more about your story because I don't actually, I don't really know it. I know that you lost your mother, but, um, I don't know the ins and outs. So, um, so can you first um, introduce yourself? Mm-hmm. I can. I can. That is a good, easy place to start. Um, yeah. So, so I am Nikki, Nikki Harrison, and thank you, Kelly, so much for having me on your show. Um, I am 
known for my work with grief. So I have a project called The Grief Space, um, which I'm sure we're going to dive into in this conversation. Um, But I'm also here to talk about my own experiences of grief. And sometimes I keep the two interestingly separate, um, Mm. kind of that, that role, I guess, you hold when you are holding space for others Um, Mm -hmm. and it's something that I'm learning and has been a real teacher to me this year is how we are all in an essence of you know we're a wounded healer we're not somebody who's holding space and and therefore have our own wounds completely healed and and finished and done with but actually it's this complete dance of uh, going to those depths within ourselves so that we can then rise and take that to others. So yeah, I'm here, I'm here today to chat about that dance and I'm willing and, and ready to share some of the personal story as well, particularly with how this, this show touches on mental health and how that plays out in so many different ways and, and how that affects not only the person who's suffering, but, but the people around them and, I'm just grateful for this, this safe space to explore. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that this like worked out as kind of seamlessly and quickly as it did. (laughs) Mm. Um, I am looking forward to kind of jumping into that wounded healer bit that you talked about, because I think that there is this misconception that healers and therapists and space holders, um, whomever is like, have it all figured out. And Mm you know, from my own experience, it's just exactly what you said that, that you really can only hold space for others in that way. I believe if you've experienced it and if you're, you know, also just have, have felt, felt, uh, have felt that and held that and, and continue to feel and, and hold that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you've, you've hit on something straight away, which is, and continue to feel it and hold it. And I think I probably went through a phase of saying, okay, I've experienced that and therefore I can now do this. And it was a real lesson when I when I got pulled back into the depths of it that I was actually still in it and would still be rumbling with, when I say it, I, I mean grief, but I also mean the everyday sorrows and challenges that we're always all facing. And to yeah. think that you get to a place where those aren't rearing their head um, actually is is a barrier to each of us showing up in this world uh, in a way that offers ourselves of, of service but also just of authenticity because if we think we have to get to a certain place before we're ready to do that it's just such a shame because we'll never get that mm, yeah that is so beautiful um, I would love for you to tell me I'd like to I'd like to kind of start in childhood so I'd love for you to tell Mm -hmm. me um about your upbringing and about um your relationship with your parents and kind of like your struggles or and and just what your um you know your sort of conditioning and and what what your upbringing was like Mm. gosh it's such a big question I know (laughs) (laughs) and I and I think I'd like to start by saying I any any kind of glimmer of self-awareness on my childhood um, and how that has influenced and affected me has only come to me recently. And I think that's always important to say because 
kind of look back on it with clarity and understanding um, as if that was something you actually had in the moment and that absolutely wasn't the case Mm. for me and it's funny that you ask this question because just last week I was looking for files on my computer and I stumbled across an old video and it was a video of 14 year old me recording something on Facebook to a friend sort of like a private message so it was about five and a half minutes of me speaking to camera almost like a voice message but but to to a friend on on screen and I was completely shocked by what I saw almost scarred like I had to kind of shut the computer screen and slowly open it again because I did not connect to the 14 year old Nikki that I saw in front of me at all she was bless her like so self-conscious self-deprecating mm-hmm. criticizing every movement so sarcastic laughing at herself and this was a really innocent video like a, a voice message to a friend from school that she'd probably seen that day I mean I'm talking to her as if it's a she as if it actually wasn't me but it was really shocking for me mm. to see see her and, and to see how much I've changed um so actually with regard to your question of you know, what was my childhood and could I share a little about that I feel like I can because I was almost viscerally taken back there just this week by watching yeah. this video um so in a nutshell um very fortunate very very fortunate upbringing um had a gorgeous family of uh, my mum, my dad, one younger brother. Um, My parents made a really interesting decision when I was 12, um, having both worked in London in pretty big jobs. um, They decided that my dad was going to become a teacher um, at my brother's local school and my mum became self-employed. So I went from having nannies and parents working in London to having um, my dad pick me up at five o'clock from school and all four of us have dinner together every single night. Um, And it's only kind of in hindsight that I realise what a big life change and life decision that must have been for them. Mm. Um, So in terms of core core family unit, it really was, um, it was, it was all like, could have hoped for Um, and we had even comments from friends and and family friends always talking about the Harrisons you know we were the family Mm. that we'd go camping every summer we didn't need to do uh, frivolous or kind of big grand things at all we were very very homely and we used to play board games all the time and we were really very close Um, and obviously you've already shared with with your listeners, but a big part of my story is is when the cracks um, in that family unit showed when when my mum got ill and kind of setting the scene of what a shock that really was. And I know that all families, many families would say it would never happen to me, it would never happen to us, mm. but it would, re- it would really, really never happen to us. Um, and that and that contrast, that polarized experience was a huge part of um, the pain. Um, 
in terms of other in conditioning and influences that I'm still struggling with today, this is very different to my experiences with grief. But um, I went to a very high achieving school mm. and um, that has actually planted something inside me that I'm I'm still really struggling with and it's all often also really difficult to voice because there's a lot of shame around struggling with something which is also a privilege and is also a gift and mm-hmm. um, to kind of expand on that what I mean is I I, I did go to a um a school that had lots of opportunities and I was given a good education, but I was also only shown one version of success. And even though on paper, it might seem like I had all these choices, I really didn't have many choices at all. It was Mm -hmm. a very straightforward career. It was get the best grades, you know, not, not the good grades, but the best. And it, planted something inside me which is really ugly and it's this idea that being good or great isn't even enough but you sort of have to be exceptional to be to get that tick um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I you know I start to stumble over my words because also being brought up to be humble and modest and how does that all fit in together when you've got this seed planted inside you that there's um that you have to earn your success and Mm -hmm. it's shown in a very linear straight narrow way um and that's been a big part of my struggle of my journey as well because it's all tied in together but in my early 20s when I my life sort of fell apart um I could not fit into that box which is the only box I'd ever been shown Um, And I'm still unpacking that today as we are Mm -hmm. moving towards a world that frankly needs to move away from growth, achievement, success, and much more towards stillness and peace and quiet. Um, So those are my struggles. Those are my struggles (laughs) as an intro. I'm glad that you touched on that because what I, I really want to dive into your mom, but I think it's important to acknowledge what you said um, about feeling that struggle between um, knowing that what you had was a privilege, but also that you like you personally struggle with that because I know that so many people um, and I'm the same as you, like I look back on my life and I'm like, it was very idyllic. And I'm so aware that I was as privileged as I was and as I am. Um, and that's important to acknowledge, but it's also so important to acknowledge that that doesn't take away from our personal experience of feeling like that didn't actually serve us. Yeah. Yeah. Or nourish us. You know, I, the things I'm learning about now, the simplicity of what I'm learning about now is is quite shocking but it's being connected to the seasons and knowing when to rest my body and uh, spending time with understanding moon cycles or understanding how plants grow from seeds or taking really really long walks in nature these are things that I didn't do when I was younger even though I had other opportunities which seemingly on paper 
might have been saved for the more privileged I almost feel like you know through absolutely no one's fault you know not my parents fault not my family not my school but I almost feel like part of my childhood had a disservice because the things Mm -hmm. that really nourish our hearts that give us that ability to sustain ourselves when things are tough I mean I guess that's what I learned through through my grief was how do I deeply sustain and nourish and nurture myself and it was nothing that I'd been taught up until that point Mm. yeah yeah (laughs) I can't help but laugh about like looking back on it it just it's like the, just in the way that, you know, as we were kind of talking about before we started recording, just witnessing society sort of crumbling around us. And I, like you right now, I'm having these really, like I'm more connected to nature than ever. And I grew mm-hmm. up in nature, but I just, I just wasn't connected to it then. At least I wasn't consciously connected to it then. Um, so just seeing this sort of like, you know, just for me personally, like this, this sort of reconnection to like who, who I really am and to Mm -hmm. this simplicity amongst, um, this chaos and sort of like letting those old structures crumble because that's what it is. It's like these old structures that have been built up that have, um, put value on hard work and on just like getting, putting your head down and getting things done. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't help. I mean, it, it, it's such a real experience for me. And, and I know that it is for you and for so many other people that I can't help but sort of laugh about it, actually. <laughs> I know there is that humor in the simplicity of it sometimes. Um, yeah. But it, yet it's still a, such a hard choice. Um, I don't know if you find the same, but my conditioning and the world around me is set up in such a way that it's this kind of ironic battle to bring in ease into my life like the there's something inside me that has this drive to succeed and be busy and push and strive and and yet I'm trying to just flip that slightly to create more space so that my nervous system is okay and yet that feels like it shouldn't be as much of a struggle as it is to put on the brakes but Mm -hmm. somehow Mm -hmm. somehow it is hard yeah, I know. I know it is hard. Um, so I'd love to go back in time and dig a little bit deeper into if you're open to kind of talking about and getting into exactly what happened um, with your mother. How old were you? What I don't even know what she was sick with and and like what that what was the what was the. I guess what was the timeline and the experience of mm. um, of of that mm. bless you yeah I mean it's I can still feel the emotion coming coming through mm-hmm. straight away so yeah how this will come out let, let's just see but um so my I guess just to share a little bit about my mum so her name uh, was Liz or Lizzie and um she was so wonderfully eccentric and generous and this beautiful light who knew all of my friends names and boyfriends and breakups and career aspirations she was the she was really she really was the the kind of the one parent that all of my friends knew really well and would love when she 
came to visit or picked us up from a party or whatever and Mm -hmm. she was um, a psychologist herself um, very spiritual but I don't think she had the language um, which I actually think was one of her big struggles Um, so it's a real sadness of mine that so many of the things that I'm learning about now and the communities I'm in I wish I could have brought her to Mm. Um, but she so she sort of was seeking she was seeking a lot I think seeking for her tribe seeking for um maybe a religion um but there was a yeah there was an I I think the word eccentricity just came came through again but looking back um I always just thought was was just my mom and who she was but um she definitely had this um almost this genius about her to to people and to life and to light but as we know with many geniuses there is a kind of a flip side to that and um so what I know now but I didn't know at the time is mum mum had a quite a deep depression when I was about five or six um I ended up kind of living with my grandparents for a short while um but it she got over it quite quickly so she took some time off work and then my brother and I came home and and that was never talked about it's only many years later that I that i have come to learn that but it's important for the context I suppose um but then when I left university so I would have been 21 um that very summer that I left so I came I moved back home in the June and something just happened over that summer and she um she fell into an anxiety and into a depression that over the next um, two years would steadily get worse and worse um, until uh, in June 2016, when I was 23, she took her life. And it's been, I say those words and I, I feel like they should happen to some, they feel, I feel, still feel like they are happening to someone else because Mm -hmm what we went through and some of the events in that story is what I had associated with what you see in a TV drama or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's so many layers to this story and the story doesn't even do, do her justice. It Mm -hmm. doesn't, Mm -hmm. it doesn't even begin to explain what her depression took from her and Mm -hmm how how I had lost her before she died I think people don't realize Mm -hmm. what mental health struggles when they're that deep and they go on for that long how much of the person that you love and you knew is not there anymore and Mm -hmm. what that does to the family around I mean I want to be really um respectful you know I'm I'm opening up about this but obviously that this is a huge part of my dad's story and my brother's story Mm -hmm. and I will nothing I say speaks to their experience but Mm -hmm. you know what my dad went through you know they've been together since they were 17 this beautiful beautiful relationship and he couldn't he couldn't save her and he was her carer for two and a half two and a half years but you know with ups and downs and um so that's sort of the, the 
the facts of the story really but one of the reasons I'm so drawn to to this show that you're doing is the the impact of mental health in so many directions on the person who's struggling but also the people around them um mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. stigma still associated I mean Kelly we've known each other for a year now I know not really well but on and off and yet that was part mm-hmm. of the my mom's story that I hadn't actually shared and that that was interesting for me to realize um that I sort of I talk about grief a lot with my work but mm-hmm. rarely do I actually share the um the facts of and the details in that way so thank you so much for for sharing that I really had to just sit as you were sharing um just feeling feeling I could feel that that emotion um I just had chills kind of like pouring down my body as you were as you were just telling me that experience and it's really um I'm just really grateful that you that you're sharing this um because I think it is just so important and um and talking about all of the ways in which this does affect us, because as you said, like you lost your mom to depression. There's so frequently um, our diagnoses or these struggles that we have can take over in a lot of ways, our identity. And as you said, there was just so much more to your mother. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that's also really beautiful. And it's so important to um to honor that so so thank you for sharing for sharing that um and i'd love so i'd love to know what was your experience um you know after she passed like what was you know what did your your grief look like and what did your life look like after mm. yeah thank you thank you for your empathy I can feel that and it feels really safe to share, to share in this space with you. Um, my grief, oh gosh. Um, interestingly, um, immediately, uh, so, so the moment that I found out um, that she had died, um, my dad didn't even tell me that she had taken her own life for maybe an hour or so. I just knew. And that always feels really interesting for me to reflect on because there was something, there was something in the depths to which we had lost her that even though when she was struggling with depression and and in those few months before, I would never ever have thought that she would actually, it didn't even cross my mind. Um, I'm sure the doctors were were kind of asking those questions, but it never even crossed my mind that she would take her own life. But in those first few months, it was just like being completely slapped in the face with the reality of how ill she had got. Mm. And if somebody had kind of teleported me into her final few months, maybe from two years ago the shock of her deterioration would have been enough for me to say whoa this is you know no no we need to intervene here this is like this is not okay but when things happen slowly 
day by day, week by week. Yeah. It's incredible what the human brain does just to cope and mm -hmm. how much our family had slipped into this strange adjustment of her not being here, like physically being here, but not emotionally being here. Um, so in those first few months of grief, it was, it was like I was sitting with the reality of her pain and knowing her as well as I did. And we were so close. It feels important to say that, I mean, I look like her, I sound like her, we work in similar fields. It was everyone still to this day is like, you know, a mini version of your mom, which comes with its own challenges of, of course now. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, those first few months for me were this, this deep, deep, deep realization of how much she had suffered because I know that it would not have got to that point in if unless it was completely unbearable for her um and then it feels like I want to skip forward a little bit because as anyone who's been through intense grief and intense shock and trauma will probably know that those first kind of, you know, I don't want to put a number on it, three, six months are, are such a blur that mm -hmm. I almost can't describe how I was feeling. Um, mm -hmm. I was taken by the hand by so many of my friends and they almost just guided me around life for six mm -hmm. months. I sort of moved wherever they were taking me and I was physically there, but mentally and emotionally not at all but then I would say the the grief and the reality really dropped in maybe about six months later and that's for me when it got really really hard because mm -hmm. for those first few months I had moved back home I'd taken some time off work I had friends coming and going we had family coming and going constantly um mm -hmm we went on some long holidays, you know, we went on holidays that we were meant to be going on as a family, but we elongated them and, and enjoyed them for the, for the stillness and the break before we had to go back to reality, I suppose. But mm -hmm. when reality came around, um, that's when grief for me became so, um, so difficult to navigate and that's why you know that's why I do what I do now but to kind of stick with my own experience it was just no one had told me or shown me or had any advice on how to navigate something that you know we have one word for it grief but what I was feeling was exhaustion and anger and insomnia and a complete lack of confidence and anxiety and um, self-consciousness and fear and mm. um, I could really go on and on but it was a land it was a landscape that I didn't recognize and a, a version of me that I didn't know and I didn't feel like I fit in anywhere I felt like I had this um, double layer to my skin I had the version and the exterior 
image of me that people were seeing. And then I had this massive void somewhere. And then Mm. I had me deep, deep inside that. And that went on for so long. The extremity of that feeling of not quite being able to reach anyone and them not quite being able to reach you. And Mm. I just felt like my grief was too much. It felt completely all-consuming. It was, I woke up thinking about it. I went to bed thinking about it. I dreamt about it. I, Mm. it became, it became my whole life. And there wasn't, I didn't feel like there was space for that. Um, there were obviously moments, many, many moments where on the outside, it looked like I was functioning at work, mm-hmm. at dinner parties, mm-hmm. but inside the, how lost and how alone I felt was just this massive chasm of, mm-hmm. of darkness that I I just felt like I couldn't express. I felt like our, my my cult, the culture I was in, didn't have a container mm-hmm. for that reality. Yeah. So, how did you begin to? I don't want to say work your way out of because mm-hmm. I think you probably expand on this more. Just in that you know, grief doesn't ever, depending upon the experience, I suppose grief sort of is very cyclical and not straight whatsoever. Um, I'm curious about what steps you started taking to sort of, I suppose, begin remedying your pain. Yeah. No, it's beautiful question. And absolutely you're spot on that you don't really move out of it you begin to move forward but before even that there is a a need to deeply nourish and support yourself through this mm. you know, we were never ever ever meant to go through grief alone and mm. I feel really fortunate that you know, everybody has their own way of processing grief and my way was very different to my dad's and my brother's um, but, but I just had to go towards my grief. You know, we were talking, um, I know before the podcast started, but about this idea that sometimes things just aren't a choice. So I, I felt like I couldn't choose to distance myself from this, the kind of the habits, which we know many people turn to completely understandably of numbing or distracting or disassociating, for some reason, I just couldn't even find a way to do that. So I, my only way that I knew was to move towards it. Um, and in doing that, I consciously, courageously, looking back, um, sought advice and sought support in so many different ways. So I had the traditional therapy, um, but I also explored um so many different healing practitioners from acupuncture to reiki to different retreats um i went on a celtic keening 
four-day workshop over New Year where you literally go into a um, go into a really beautiful ceremony space, sort of built into a a hill, and you um, hold a, a Irish keening ritual where you're around a fire and you're crying and you're held by a group. Um, it was beautiful. I went on. I did a lot of body work. Um, so knowing what we do about how whatever was going on in my mind and my heart, you know, my body was holding all of that. So I learned about um, trauma releasing exercises. So this idea that animals, when they're releasing trauma, they will physically shake. And we don't mm. do that as humans. In fact, we contract. So all of those times when I was in social situations or at work and I wanted to cry or scream <laughs> and I you know, put on a smile and I contracted, we we can all feel that, right? That moment when you contract in your stomach and you're like, nope, not going to go there. We hold mm. all of that in our body. Um, so I did, I had deep massage and I did trauma releasing exercises and I still do lots of yoga. Um, and I just, and acupuncture was a huge one. I used to go to my acupuncturist um, and I would, every time she worked with me, she would, I would cry and then I would sleep <laughs> for about an hour. And, wow. um, and it was, so needed um and I I felt like all of these different spaces and people that I was meeting were kind of almost piecing little pieces of them were were somehow feel filling this hole that was in my heart because really my mum was she was my person you know how everyone in life has mm. a person and whether you find that in a partner or a sibling or a parent or a dog, <laughs> um, she was my person who I called. She knew everything and nothing. I could never talk for too long or go into too much detail about anything. And I needed to fill that hole in different ways that obviously mm. can never be filled. Um, and I also really want to acknowledge while I'm speaking of, of something I think about a lot, which is what a privilege it is to heal because mm-hmm. I, I mean, my friends will tell you that I <laughs> didn't have much savings and I didn't go on any holidays or do the normal 24-year-old things because I was spending all of my money on <laughs> um, healing myself. But, you know, it, it's still a point to be made that I had that money. You know, I had a good enough salary to be able to pay my rent and then spend money on on all of these ways to support myself. And Mm-hmm. And that's something mm-hmm. I'd love to work on in this lifetime is getting more grief support. And by grief support, I don't just mean therapy. I mean all of the things I've described and more um, to more people. So Yeah. Yeah, that is um, – I love that this conversation now, we've sort of touched on privilege in a few ways, but it is really important Um as you pointed out, because not everyone, you know, not everyone and not everyone listening is, has the option to go to acupuncture and go to yeah. healers and, and all, the, all of the same things that I, that I sought out. Um, and there's so many ways that I want to take this conversation from here, but to keep it slightly more linear, um, I'd love to talk about how you moved into creating the grief space. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll dive in a bit more um, into kind of like what you're doing there and 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 more of the nitty gritty of 
grief itself. Mm. Thank you. I feel like I feel like we could go in so many directions as well. I know. Um, <laughs> but part one of many. Part one of many. Yes. Yeah. So in terms of the grief space, um, I don't even know how it started. And I know it's. I always used to listen to podcasts and, and with people and feel annoyed when they'd say things like that but it I had a shift um about two years ago when I felt like I was ready to start showing up in the world again (laughs) or maybe for the first time ever because you know this all Mm. happened when I was so young um but I felt ready I felt ready to show myself I felt ready to explore what that might look like um I was always going to work in a kind of healing or therapy or psychology space um that's my background that's my training that's my work anyway but I started to feel this um this call towards women's circles actually so I started attending many 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 women's circles and recognizing the power of coming together in community um, mm. And actually touching on, on what we said earlier, um, interestingly, these women's circles were where I found a lot of healing and they were one of the more um, you know, cost effective things that one mm. could do because you're not working one on one. You can sometimes go to a circle for you know, £10 um, and they were a really beautiful space for me to be witnessed. And as I was experiencing these circles, um, I also started doing a lot of research into why why my grief had been so unrecognized and unsupported in my culture and my society around me. I mean, don't get mm. me wrong, my friends were and are incredible. I have some beautiful, incredibly kind and um and open-minded friends who wanted to go there with me but didn't even know how and I didn't know what to ask for mm-hmm. so I started reading about different cultures and um, indigenous practices and even within our own lands um, you know here in the UK kind of learning about different Celtic traditions that we would have done thousands of years ago around grief and essentially I, I just stumbled across this language around grief and had this realization that I hadn't been shown how to grieve. I didn't have the spaces. I didn't have the containers. I didn't have the guides, the teachers. And in that moment, I then had a lot of anger because I I felt like I had been robbed of something that my heart really needed. My heart, because I just felt like I wasn't normal. I felt like my grief was too big. And I hear that all the time now from people I I work with is how they feel so lonely and they feel so not normal. And Mm -hmm. I really craved those spaces where grief was just recognized and held. So it felt like a combination of all of these things happening at once. Um, And then I, um, a very, very close friend of mine, lost her best friend suddenly and and tragically young and I went through this experience with her of holding space for her grief and it was a really beautiful experience for me to be able to give back something that I 
learnt because mm-hmm. I felt like I was able to be the friend to her that through no fault of anyone of my friends they just didn't know and they hadn't had the experience but I felt like I could be the friend to her that I wish I'd had and through that experience and and we lived together for a while we started exploring you know how could I offer this to more people because I did have this capacity to just sit with other people's grief it didn't it still doesn't phase me um I love being in that space of truth with people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and uh, and feel like for whatever you know blessed to have have this capacity just to be with with really deep grief um, and then through through her and through kind of friends of friends saying oh go and talk to Nikki you know and, and when I talk about grief I don't just mean death I mean significant breakups or huge regrets or a loss of a job or a life that you expected any kind of loss or change um and I had people kind of coming in and out of my life saying would you have a chat with this person and and all with this common theme of just listening and holding space and witnessing so Mm -hmm. all of that kind of accumulated together um to to knowing that I wanted to offer more in this world and I sat with with what that could be I I mean I think I have over 2,000 notes on my phone I'm that person who's like constantly writing little tiny ideas down and (laughs) and I I'm sort of trained in in coaching and um as I said my psychology background and then I did this women's circle training and that all kind of came together and over over many months of just letting it be in my subconscious one day it just kind of fell onto the page and um I'm sure like like many of us kind of in this space of creating something from scratch there's always that moment when you're like oh I've got this concept I've got this name I wonder if the website already exists or I wonder if the Instagram (laughs) handle already exists or um and I just had this moment yeah the grief space it just fell it literally fell in and I googled it and it was free and I bought the domain and I just did quite a lot within the space of 24 hours and I just knew that it was mine to bring to the world and I didn't know what it would look like and I still don't and it's evolving every day but the philosophy of of it is to hold space for grief both within ourselves Mm -hmm. within community it's to normalize it it's to witness it it's also to to hold reverence for it because grief is this ultimate act of loving life and being connected to life and and being awake to Mm. what brings us love and also loss but Mm -hmm. it's all tangled in and Mm -hmm. gosh Kelly I could talk for I could talk for a really long time about this so I'll pause (laughs) Well, you touched on something that I think is really important, and that is the ways in which grief shows up. And it's interesting because as you were saying it, it sort of reminded me of, which I keep talking about on this podcast, is emotional trauma and how the way that trauma has been historically thought of has been this big, huge event. Like someone has to have been in a car accident or something that big. And we're now seeing the ways in which trauma actually can seep into these tiny little experiences in our lives. And, 
And I actually, I was decorating for Christmas. This is going to sound so funny. I was decorating for Christmas yesterday and I had all this grief coming up and I was like, what is this? And I realized that I hadn't grieved um, or processed um, my sadness about Santa Claus not being real. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But... um, you know, I to go that. <laughs> and then I, and I actually had to, and I stopped and I sat there and I felt it and it was really sad. Yeah. I, Cause and I, it's, it was a smile when I was a kid. It's tied up with, with the innocence of believing that everything is beautiful and wonderful and magic. And so I, I hear what you're saying about it being about Santa Claus. Um, but also I think I'd be interested to know if that was tied up with that feeling of just youth and yes. that glee that we have as kids and before yeah. all of this life stuff happens and it gets really heavy. Yes, it was all that. It's kind of like, it's sort of like the grief of the loss, like that of knowing that I will never be a child again. Mm. And also in some ways, like, you know, like losing it, 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 it's funny now to, to sort of expand on it because I hadn't thought of it in this way, but it sort of felt like I lost someone that I mm. had 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 like relied on for yeah. for magic and for excitement and mm. um, and all of these kind of <laughs> positive mm. experiences that I'd that I had had in my life up until that point. Um, mm. And so it's so interesting to kind of dive into the different ways in which grief can show up. And I think that one really important topic that we can talk about a little bit is um, for people to really understand uh, the grief that can be experienced through this pandemic Mm. um, and the ways that that has been showing up for people. Perhaps you can expand on that a bit more. Absolutely. And I, I love that you that you're naming the many different faces of grief here even in your example of something seemingly seemingly kind of frivolous or silly but but actually the more that we can all get comfortable naming grief in all of its small grievances and the small losses it's that muscle that will then be able to help us acknowledge grief when the really really big stuff comes as well um, but certainly I mean, it's been interesting this year with, with kind of starting the grief, stage, grief space in a public way last year and then moving straight into 2020. It's been really interesting just to observe that grief has suddenly been on the table for something as something that people are acknowledging as a universal part of life for almost the first time because everyone has been at least grieving the loss of normality. And Mm -hmm. for some people, Mm -hmm. I know that there are some benefits that have come with this year, but everybody's got things that they miss and habits and routines that they are not able to do. And there is a deep grief in that and a grief in the person who we were before all of this happened. Um, Not to mention the the grief that we're seeing not only in in the direct deaths around COVID, but so much of what's being thrown up in the world at the moment, I I think is 
so connected to grief, whether that's racial injustices that are being Mm -hmm. really surfaced in a way that we cannot hide from and we cannot hide from the grief of other fellow people on this planet in a way that maybe we've been able to distance ourselves from before or or grief of our planet I mean I'm I'm really starting to get drawn to this idea of ecological grief and how we how we need to acknowledge what we've done to the planet so that we can grieve our losses and then move forward in a way to try and help and change and make it better um but I went through a, a, a good couple of weeks at the beginning of lockdown of being in that space of, of grief myself, both with the Black Lives Matter movement, but also with a lot that was happening around um, the climate crisis and some of the reality that we're sitting in and just being in that grief. Because ultimately, grief, and this is not to kind of jump over the need to actually just be in the grief and Mm -hmm. to feel Mm -hmm. that sadness and to acknowledge that loss but I also I know that deep within grief lies this potential for transformation it kind of acts like a compass towards what we really care about Mm -hmm. so I think if we can all welcome grief and acknowledge grief a little more I think it's a potential doorway to a lot of the things that are wrong in this world. Yeah, that's really, really beautiful. And I think that that, um, again, I love that you touched on that as well, because I feel the same way kind of about, um, about mental health or really any challenge that we experience is it, they, it really is, um, it really can be a compass, um, to finding, um, ourselves and just that truth that I know you touched on I'm such a truth seeker myself like just regardless of how painful it is there's something about as you said just like driving straight into that truth that is Mm. um so important to me and something that I think has just been missing or hidden for so long from um from our culture, at least Western culture, um, that we both grew up in. And, um, and I'd love to talk a little bit about how you feel like, like, how do you feel like grief, like how does grief fall into the mental health space? Because it's not something that's diagnosed, but Mm. it is something that we all inevitably experience. And I'm sure that you know, seeing as it is kind of grief in some way is, I don't know, how do you, how do you, um, how do you define grief? Cause I was going to say, it's like this deep emotion that if, if left un, um, unexamined or unfelt, uh, could probably lead to, um, maybe some mental health stuff or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, grief is so hard to define. And on a really practical level, I, when I'm doing workshops and things, I, I talk about it as just the emotion, the normal emotional reaction to loss or change of any kind. Um, but you're absolutely you know, spot on that grief left unexamined. Um, I always say that you know, grief itself doesn't hurt you anywhere near as much as the barriers that you put up against it Mm. and 
it can show up, you know, like we know already about disease, you know, it can show up in mental health challenges, in body issues, in um, a whole range of illnesses. We know how much, we know that we're so interconnected, mind, body, heart. Um, but I, yeah, I'd, I'd love to, to kind of share and, and explore and, and hear your thoughts on this idea of where does the mental health um, conversation fit in with grief? Because I do, I, I feel quite angry about the, about the number of people that I work with who at some point, somebody in their fam- in their close family or friends, although well intended, will say to them, um, "You know, I think you're depressed." Um, when they're in a space of deep grief, mm. and of course, it's not you know it's not um, lin- linear, it's not binary. Um, when my mum died, I I went on antidepressants. Um, Interestingly, that was a decision that I'd made um, two weeks before she actually died, and I already had the um, medicine. Um, but I, it was interesting that I, I'd done that, but I did decide to start taking them. And I do think that was helpful. I think I needed that artificial um, boost to get me through a really, really intense period. So mm-hmm. anything that I kind of go on to say about how grief is not depression I want to caveat that with a you know I I think um there's a space for antidepressants and medical interventions around depression that are hugely hugely supportive um -hmm. but I also disagree with our culture's um response of wanting to fix it from a biological perspective without exploring what's going on underneath um I mean even within my mum my mum's case of depression like I have my we all everyone in my family obviously has their own views on what happened but I feel like she was having a spiritual um crisis of some sort I felt like I don't think she felt like she belonged I don't think she found her she was almost ahead of her time being that generation and thinking in the way that she did in the culture that she was in so um the reason I bring that up now is is this idea of when people are saying well I'm depressed well actually I was I would always advocate how can we support you to dig deeper underneath that feeling because the likelihood is that there will be a grief there and I say grief again in its broadest sense of loss of who you thought you would be or the expectations or maybe there is a trauma there that is unprocessed or a loss of someone you love that's gone unacknowledged or a breakup that's significantly hurt us. Um, But I think what we don't do enough in this culture is just allow people the space and the time to just be in grief. Mm -hmm. So I've learned so much from just observing nature. Um, So even just now, like being in winter and totally allowing myself to be in winter and to sleep longer and to, have like more restful evenings and to not expect my as much of myself but we live in a world that is so obsessed with growth and productivity and success mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. everything that is in that kind of positive spectrum of of living um, that we don't acknowledge that you know in order to go up you come down and I find it really interesting how 
quite often quite often all I do in my work with the grief space is just give people permission to be in grief mm-hmm. and sort of just let out a little sigh of relief of of course like of course you feel like this and we're here to be with you and witness you and hold you in that grief because what you're going through is huge mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just give them that space like allow them to take up space in their grief knowing wait knowing that it will Elizabeth Gilbert, who um, is an author that I'm sure everybody knows through Eat, Pray, Love, but she's, mm-hmm. she writes beautifully about grief um, after her partner Rhea died. And she says, you know, if you let grief take you, she will, be, she will eventually be done with you. Like she kind of comes, you might cry for hours, but she does eventually give you a little respite and she leaves you for a while. But we don't have a relationship with grief in this culture to allow ourselves to be taken, knowing mm. that we will be, um, knowing that we will be released. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, I've been reflecting on this a lot, kind of, I'm, I'm really fascinated. I feel really connected to Native American culture and, um, and being back in America in it, in a, um, where I'm, where I'm from, um, was, was at one time heavily, heavily populated by, by Native Americans. And, and I'm just drawn to that sense of community. Um, as you had said earlier that we're, we were never meant to go through grief alone. I don't think, you know, we were never really meant to go through, through life alone. And so again, going back to the pandemic, it's interesting to see, you know, that we are just in so many ways more separated than ever. And, that we live in this culture that just wants to fix. Um, Mm. It's, it's fascinating to see like, you know, different parts of the world keep going back into lockdown and, um, and the world just keeps trying, like you can see that there's these like last grasps for like holding on to the world that we knew um, because everything's just trying to continue to move as quickly as it was. And, um, I'm curious to see how all of this continues to sort of play out and how the structures continue to kind of fall and crumble. Because again, like, as you were saying, all we really need is to be seen and to be heard. And so for you to be sort of reintroducing, um, this really sacred form of community and connection is just amazing and since we don't have it so much in like our physical communities anymore um or even so much within our families like people are we we, we are just disconnected um it's so it, it you know it is amazing um there are so many negative things about the internet but there are also so many gifts and during this time when we are really all kind of locked up like I just want to acknowledge how um, how beautiful it is that you are creating this space for people, and I'm um, yeah, I'm just really inspired um, by you and by your strength um, in doing that because it can't be easy for you considering what you have been through. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. It means a lot to me that you say that um it's funny I it it does feel easy it's really it's really weird um I obviously have friends and family 
who are worried about me, um, who say, you know, are you okay? Like holding grief circles mm. twice a week. Um, like, does that feel heavy? Um, but it feels, e- it feels easy to me to be in those spaces. Um, I'm also learning, you know, I'm learning boundaries and I'm learning um, mm. self-care. And like I said, right at the beginning, this kind of um, striving to achieve perfectionist side of me that has this little voice inside my head that says you should grow this into a business you know I just have to shut her down (laughs) and just keep listening to my intuition and and holding these spaces um because I feel like they're really important you know again you you picked out something I said which was we shouldn't have to go through grief alone we were never meant to and that's something that I would love to just change on a on a national international scale because we do a disservice to people in grief by only offering really only offering therapy as the kind of traditional support and I think therapy is without a doubt incredibly important and a huge huge part of my healing journey and I still dip in and out of it when I when I need it today and it would be the first thing that I recommend to people, um, even over the grief, the grief circles. But but therapy alone isn't enough um, because it's still keeping grief behind closed doors. It's saying, yeah, you need to go over there, be in a room where no one can see you, talk about it in situations where no one else can hear you. Um, and that keeps an element of shame around grief when it's so normal and so universal. So it feels really important to me that this idea of coming together in groups um, and witnessing one another is, it's so healing um, Mm -hmm. and so needed. Now I want to ask you what's probably a um, controversial or um, potentially triggering question, depending upon where you're at in your grief Mm -hmm. or with, um not you specifically I think to anyone listening um if we dive into the spiritual side of things a bit um which I'm personally very interested in because of my own experience with mental health issues and that really being something that I leaned on and was has been really important for me and feels like a big piece of the puzzle for me um and so I'm curious um in what your thoughts are on like purpose in all of this. And do you believe that there is like a soul plan and that this was something that both you and your mother's souls chose? And if there's like, do you see the gift in the grief and in what happened or would you take it all back if you could? Um, I'm curious on your, your personal experience with, with that. Mm. I had this sense that, that that's where the question was going and I, I'm grateful for it and really happy to talk about it and thank you for bringing it up. Um, I, I immediately feel self-conscious when, I'm, when I answer this question because my experience and my view is um, naturally so different to that of my family and it feels really important mm-hmm. to just say that yeah, not that they would ever listen to this. 
<laughs> but <laughs> this is this is how I experience the world, and you know, every, there's a thousand rights and wrongs, but this is my reality. Um, and I've done a lot of questioning and soul searching around this question. Um, and in essence, um, it, it's yes, I I believe that for whatever reason, mum and I decided this together. And the reason I know, it's not even a feeling, I do actually, for me and my reality, I know that to be true because I feel her at my circles and the strength that I have, the potentially glimmers of wisdom that sometimes come through, they're not mine, they're hers or even not hers, they're part of something so much bigger and more intelligent. Um, Mm. I struggle, as we all do, when we're discussing kind of both the spiritual and the human. At a human level, I struggle with with why like why did it have to be so brutal um I struggle from that kind of 23 year old girl who witnessed her mum falling into a deep depression and then losing her I I can't ever quite put the two together so this is kind of like my human self and my higher self um Mm -hmm. so I will always answer that question from both angles you know could it would I take it all back yes I miss my mum <laughs> mm-hmm. I just want a hug um I want her to meet my boyfriend <laughs> I want her to be a part mm-hmm. of you know all of this um but at the same time um the the journey that I've been on in the last few years is so deeply rooted in an a developing but but very present knowledge of of what is true in this world and and how we are a part of that intelligence and how we we must but also it's not even negotiable to just trust that because we are that and mm-hmm. when i fall into that space of knowing and trust and being held by something bigger Mm -hmm. Um, I do I do believe and it's difficult to put words to it you know soul plan um higher divine intervention whatever all of those words for me don't quite do it justice um Mm -hmm. but I've also you know a separate conversation but I've worked with different plant medicines um over the last few years and have had very very deep experiential teachings about confirming that view um that's given me a really deep sense of peace um but that's not to say that it's not really really hard <laughs> so I sort of yeah. want to say to anyone listening you know I might have this kind of deep core trust and faith that somehow this is just as it was meant to be, but I also get angry and very sad and self-pitying and, you know, all of the above, all of the humanness as well. 
Yeah, thank you for answering that so eloquently because, um, you know, as you touched on, there is, again, as I said, from my own from my own experience, it just felt important for me to lean on that and, and feel like there was something bigger than myself going on because it felt too overwhelming um, to think that I was the only one in control. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it offered me a lot of relief. Um, and I hope that perhaps someone listening, it might offer them relief as well. But I also understand the humanness of that and how, if you are in a place within your grief of feeling angry and feeling sad and asking why, and that probably being, um, like a, a question or, or a viewpoint that would be completely infuriating. Mm. Um, so I think it's important to recognize both of those and thank you for, for responding, um, with your, with your point of view and your experience on that. Um, and so from here, I, I would love to, find out I so I know that you have the grief circles that you do can you talk a bit like what what are your offerings for for Mm. for thank you Kelly and and yeah just to expand on on what you were saying about that for a quick moment is is this idea of paradox that I always lean on when I talk about grief because for me it's like the only thing that actually comes close to it um giving a glimpse of what it means to be human and in grief and in life and in love and in loss and it's this paradox you know we can feel both at the same time um we can feel trusting and also feel completely uncertain (laughs) and we can feel in deep deep grief and also have glimmers of gratitude and um it feels important to be able to hold it all so thank you for drawing that out of me (laughs) um and yeah, in terms of, of the grief space, um, as I said, it's an ever-evolving project. Um, at the moment, I offer sort of three core things. The first are these grief circles that I talk about. Um, so although it might be an unfamiliar term, I always say that it won't feel unfamiliar because we have been sitting in circle for thousands and thousands of years across different countries and continents and cultures and these grief circles are welcome to anybody Um, we all have grief and it comes in so many different forms and they are spaces where uh, you can enter a container you are held you can contribute as much or as little as you like Um, I offer some um, some sort of open circles where people can drop in and experience it and be held but more often I offer a six-week cycle of circles so that the same group get the opportunity to meet a couple of times and that feels important to sort of build that muscle and that experience of being Mm -hmm. in community and and really getting to know um, each other's stories and and holding space Mm -hmm. so the grief circles are my um, and my love at the moment um, a natural spin-off of those um, is when people have something they want to work on in one-to-one um, so I offer one-to-one sessions um, I'm not a 
trained therapist, although I'm exploring doing my psychotherapy soon. But I bring my skills of um, transformational coaching and a background in psychology, but also just deep, deep personal experience. You know, I think we do live in a world where we can get a thousand qualifications, but actually there's nothing more healing sometimes than, than being with someone who is working from the heart. So mm-hmm. my spaces mm-hmm. are, um, yeah, they're not kind of under a particular discipline, um, but they are a, a safe space to be held and to be seen. Um, and I walk kind of, I feel like I walk side by side. Um, and the final thing I do is sort of slightly different um, is I do uh, talks and sessions in workplaces, so within organizations. And we didn't even get on to that today, which shows there could be many, many more conversations to come. But um, a deep grief of mine is that I I left a job that I really loved um, in my first year of grief. And looking back, that was because neither myself nor my manager at the time really knew how to be with me in my grief you know as anybody going through anything will know you have some days where you're absolutely fine and you can work and then you have other days where it all comes crashing around you and and grief just propels you through these quite major ups and downs and um I'm trying to change the perception of grief in the workplace just like we've done with mental health in the workplace in the Mm. last three years getting people to understand what what does grief look like and how can I support my colleagues and what policies should I have in place and if I'm a manager to somebody going through grief how do I manage them Um, and yeah just bringing the conversation into the wider world. Wow that's amazing and so so very needed so you have a website you have instagram your instagram is at the grief space right yes and yeah then- and website's exactly the same uh just www.thegriefspace.com perfect <laughs> um <laughs> So I, I, I keep like my mind is going all over the place because I'm like, oh my God, we're at an hour and 15 minutes and we could go, there's so many more directions we could go in. <laughs> um, but to keep it, um, I think we've covered a lot today, which I think, which has been just amazing. Um, but we never, I never, we never really specified, um, as I said to you, um, I think I did anyway, I hope I did, but I'd like to sort of talk about a woman. Um, I'm assuming that yours is your mum, but maybe it's not. Um, do you want to share a little bit more about the question again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically um, something that I want to do in season two is just give voice to women who from the past could be family members. Like I speak of Joan of Arc, um, one guest of Mary Magdalene, you know, there's women that we all know of, um, archetypal women, um, but also family members and people who were, um, who were either silenced for sharing the truth or women who were, who were failed by the system really, as your mom was that like, we haven't really developed a system, um, to support people, um, who are, who are going through, um, certain experiences, um, and who are, who are essentially failed by them. So just to, yeah, essentially like just 
giving voice as this sort of feminine energy is rising right now um, to to these women from 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 history. There are so many that I would like to speak about in this moment. Um, I do feel I do feel sad when I think back to my mum that she wasn't met with a society, with a culture, with with friends. I mean, probably with family, with me, um, who could draw out of her her own power and strength and intuition and sensitivity and anger in the best way and I do feel like looking back that that internal struggle of not being met to the depth that she was able to meet herself um, would have been really difficult and interestingly in the last few years for me, in in my grieving process and in my healing process, I feel like these kind of female archetypes have been revealed to me in so many interesting ways. And I've been working with my own understanding of different poets and saints and mystics, and you know, both in the human level people who really were here and also um across different religions different divine archetypes and reading their stories and mm. having these kind of unified threads of trusting their own intuition and I think that's something that I feel so if, if there's one thing that I would kind of lean on is lean on and lead with is this idea of women's intuition being silenced because yes. if we're not shown or taught or role modeled or encouraged to lean into our own intuition then I mean we don't have any hope for understanding who we are but we also don't have any hope of bringing who we are into the world so this kind of untapped potential that sits hand in hand with that deeply saddens me as well mm. Wow. Yeah, that is, that is so powerful. Um, and there's so much more that I want to say about that. It's been interesting. I, um, I had a friend, a good friend of mine, actually, he did the music for the podcast. Um, he's such a lovely human and he does astrology readings on the side and I've had a million and one astrology readings and, um, I decided to, you know, we'd been chatting and he, he, he wanted to read my chart. So, so he did. And we, um, and it was really, really lovely. He's, he's amazing at what he does. And, um, we started diving into my moon sign is in cancer. If you're into astrology at all, um, my moon sign is in cancer. And he was explaining to me how, uh, when he really started to dive into his moon sign, it, um, it really allowed him to, to, Get, get to know and really truly understand himself because it's where so much of our emotional power lies. And I've been spending the last few days since that reading, um, thinking about this and, um, because I, I know I'm sensitive and I know that I'm intuitive and so many women are, but that I've been so shut off from it. And that that's where so much of my, um, panic attacks came from was sort of this like 
suppression of um, emotion and um, intuition for for so much of my life that it all sort of just came to a head at one point back in 2016, actually, it sounds like we both were going through, mm-hmm. through it in 2016. Um, but yeah, just, so I've been, so the last few days I've really been exploring, like really trying to dive into, um, into and really accept um, just how deep my emotional sensitivity is. And it's actually been really intense. Again, like there's grief and there's like feeling things that I don't really want to feel. But again, that that's just, there is this power um, in a woman's intuition and, and it is so lost. And, um, and so this there's there is just so much power in us um having this conversation and i'm so glad that this conversation has been um as dynamic as it has been because i feel like we've touched on um you know both the really human experiences of of grief and of mental health and just just human challenges as well as touching on um i guess the spiritual side of things and um they both are important and uh, yeah, just, just as you said, sort of this rising of the female intuition again, it feels like it's something that is very important to me. And going back to um, what I was saying before and which we both kind of touched on is this, this truth, like this, this search and this, this obsession kind of, of sort of like piercing into truth, regardless of, what that feels or looks like. Um, so, so yeah, this conversation has been really, really amazing. Mm, thank you so much. I've absolutely loved it and it sparked so many things within me and it, I'm really grateful to have spaces like this where I feel, feel like my, the depth to which I love talking are met with such uh, curiosity and, grace and exploration and um yeah it's been a real beautiful meeting of souls and and minds and hearts and yeah I'm, i'm really grateful thank you kelly i hope you enjoyed that episode with nikki I have put all of her information, um, her Instagram, her website, and anything you would need to get into contact with her if you'd like to work with her um, in the show notes. And if you have any feedback from me, please let me know.